Okay, so we turn together to uh, Philippians chapter 4, our reading today. Letters are very precious. Um, I mentioned uh, around about a year or so ago that we were clearing out the, the attic and we, we found the letters that Anne and I exchanged. Um, this is not one of them. Um, before we got married. Um, letters are very precious. They contain lots of memories. This is a letter from um, a friend from a long time ago. Um, the first person who became a Christian at uh, the church in Lowestoft where I was a pastor and I mentioned that this series in Philippians, um, I did a series on this passage right at the beginning, my pastoral ministry. So it's kind of an interesting bookend that we come to the end of Philippians, this letter, um, on this day. And I'm, I'm going to read um, this letter a little bit later on um, because maybe it will just be a helpful memory for you as we go through. Now, when um, J.K. Rowland finished her seven volumes of the Harry Potter series, she explained that she'd written the last chapter first. And everything that was, it had been written was being written towards that, that final story. Of course, if you remember, it's, a, it's an amazing resurrection story. Sorry to spoil the, the plot after reading for so long, maybe, if you've not read it. And sometimes, with, with Paul's letters, it is in the last part of the letter that everything comes to be plain. Everything falls into place. And I think that's probably the case here. The challenge of um, Philippians chapter 4 is to communicate exactly what's important in terms of the relationship between Paul and this church at Philippi, which is obviously very, very important in his affections. He says finally a couple of times in this last chapter, and we've joked a few times about this very long goodbye that we've had as a church. Seems like a long time ago that I said, um, we're leaving. Um, and, but, but here we are on this last Sunday. What an unusual Sunday it is in some ways. It was strange yesterday to step into my study in the afternoon and to find more space because all the books have been moved and to find it echoing. Oh, you could kind of really have a great echo in there. But, but strange to, to step into a, a more or less empty room. It has been a long goodbye. It's a reminder though, isn't it, um, that with all life, nothing changes without change. I think we'd like, wouldn't we, to have changes which don't involve change, but that's never, ever possible. All living things change, and therefore when we change, we need to experience change. And some of that is really Joyful, and some of that is really difficult. Changes can be both positive and negative. My work here is done, so that should move. But then it should move through the through the um, the hedge there. But um, just imagine that in your mind: Homer slowly retreating through the hedge and disappearing. Um, sorry, that doesn't didn't work there, no, never mind. Um, it goes to show you um, that there are no perfect moments, are there? there are no perfect services. There we are. 
Memories. We have memories, and we've spoken about a few of those um, this morning. Memories of things that have been said. Memories of things that have been done. How would you like to remember the last 22 years? How would I like to remember the last 22 years? I guess that first verse of Philippians chapter 4 is a good one to think about in terms of remembering what I want of you as a church. Paul says, stand firm. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I remember standing here 22 years ago without a gray hair on my head and preaching um, the Bible message. Um, I have and has invested more than half of our working lives in this place. I've spoken a lot of words. I've met a lot of people. I've done a number of things. Some things I've done right. Some things I've done wrong. The sting of regrets we sang earlier. And uh, it's amazing, isn't it, when you look back at the future, it depends on your personality, I suppose. You look, look back at the past, rather. It's amazing how the things that you didn't do well tend to kind of stick in your memory. If only, if only's kind of stick in your memory. As I think about the future, um, my message to you is to stand firm. Uh, we, we had as our motto text from the beginning of Philippians that Paul is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you or among you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And on the basis of that confidence, Paul says to the Philippian church, stand firm. You know what you've been taught. You know what you've been shown about the, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You know what you've been told about the mindset of Jesus. Not interested in himself, but interested in us, willing to set aside the visible trappings of his glory in order that he might come to be amongst us and give himself for us. Stand firm. I think also we need to remember something very important from this final uh, reading, that no situation, however delicate, is without a solution. Some people only ever see problems. Some people never see problems. Life is just walking on sunshine. There are problems in life. There are difficulties that we face. Churches face difficulties. Wherever there are relationships, there are challenges and difficulties. You know, as I've read through Philippians, I, I get the growing sense that the most important words that Paul wanted to say to this congregation in Philippi were the ones that were contained there in verse 2 and 3. I plead with you, Yehoda, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's almost unprecedented for, for in the body of a letter that Paul writes for names to be mentioned. 
Names are mentioned at the beginning of the letter, people who've written it and the people that the letter is sent to. There are often greetings throughout the letter, um, at the end of the letter rather, where names are mentioned. But for names to be mentioned in the body of the letter is unusual. We need to remember what happened when Paul wrote this letter to, to, to Philippi. They didn't all receive an email with the letter that they could read um, after visiting their inbox. They didn't get the royal mail bring this letter to their house so that they could all peruse it and reflect on it before they went to church. There was one copy. And on Sunday morning, they all arrived, and there was a buzz of excitement because Paul had written a letter to the church in Philippi. And the person who'd been sent with the letter stood up and read the letter. They didn't know what was coming. And then suddenly, in what we call the fourth chapter, near the end of the letter, suddenly, two ladies in the congregation heard their names mentioned. Now, I don't know what you feel when your name is mentioned in church. Hey, I guess my and Anne's name are going to be mentioned a few times today. Kind of, you know, maybe there's a kind of cringe. Maybe there's a kind of warm glow. Maybe a feeling, oh, I just wish there was a little less attention on me. Or maybe there's a feeling, what have I done now? So Paul, having said that all the things that he said in this letter about relationships being of one mind, says to these two ladies, you know who you are, I'm, I'm actually naming you, I want you to agree in the Lord. You know, we've been working together for a long, long time, but there is a problem, there's a, a delicate situation, and I want you to see that there is a solution, and the solution is what, what I've been talking about throughout this letter, that we have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus. If we have the si same mind as that of Christ Jesus, well then, no problem is too large that we can't overcome it. It's interesting what happens in churches sometimes. People see a couple of people that are perhaps not getting on so well, and they say, well, you know, it's what they're like. They've always been like that. It's their temperament. We all know, 90% temper. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, it's what they're like. They've always been like that. There's no way they're going to change. But Paul says, now this is a problem. It's a problem that is causing something of a tension here in the life of the church, and we want you to sort it. Um, Tom Wright speaks about a conversation with a lady, an elderly lady in his church, who said she never leaves more than two days ironing, just like myself. And Tom Wright says, you know, that's important really, because um, if we don't deal quickly with the things that are wrinkled and creased, they're really difficult creases to get out later on. Try to iron a shirt without a steam iron when it's been hanging around for two or three weeks after being washed. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? It's possible, though. It is possible. Problem, solution. Be of the same mind in the Lord. What an important thing it is for a congregation to be on the same page, to be living in harmony. Now, it's going to be a challenge in the next few weeks and months because you're going to be focused upon the future and your need of a new leader. And, and there will be people with kind of slightly different opinions, slightly different desires and needs and feelings. 
It's really important, as far as possible, to be on the same page, to be of the same mind, and to seek that God will bring you to a real sense of what the way ahead is. Be of the same mind in the Lord. We've said it. In fact, it's interesting. We've had two lots of wedding preparation over the last few weeks, which has been nice. Uh, David and Laura and uh, uh, Matt and Charlie are getting married um, this year. And uh, we're doing the wedding preparation for them. One of the things I've kind of said to them, that kind of very simple idea of the triangle, that if we're at the bottom of the triangle, um, John and Anne, Matt and Charlie, David and Laura, and Jesus is at the top of the triangle, the closer we get to the top of the triangle, moving up those side, those sides, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we are to each other. And the, the more we are of say, the same mind in Jesus, the more we are fixed on Jesus, well then, the closer that we get together. Be of the same mind as Christ Jesus. Stand firm, be of the same mind. And there is no need that is so great that Jesus cannot meet it. And how important that is for us to know. I love the phrase in Matthew's Gospel. I've said it many times, and hey, it's the last day, so we'll say it again. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs before we ask him. There is no need so great that it cannot be met. So, Paul says there, I rejoice greatly, verse 10, in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There's no need so great that Jesus cannot meet it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. One Christian writer of a few centuries ago said about contentment, he said, uh, he said the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It is a rare jewel, a very important jewel indeed. If you have contentment, you have everything. Because when you have nothing, you have everything. And when you have everything, you have everything. I said it was strange to step into that room empty. The room that I've been working in for 22 years, full on Friday, empty today. And, and sometimes life um, deals a card to us where we have full days, full years, full lives, full homes, full health. And then there is a period when we are empty, running on empty, opening our pockets and nothing's in them. There is no need so great that he cannot meet it. And that's, um, that brings me to this, this letter from John. John Talbot was a man I met one Christmas. I was going around taking Christmas leaflets. I still do that um, around the shops here at Christmas time, taking our leaflet, saying hello to people. I used to do it in the street where the church was in Beresford Road. And that, that particular year, I met John. John is no longer with us. He went to be with the Lord. Um, and he wrote this um, just a little while after becoming a Christian. 
my dear sister and brother, and my dear sister Anne and brother John, rather. I've, I've actually typed it because it's easy to read typed. Just a few sweets for you to munch. See, chocolate, yeah. As you travel on your much-deserved and I hope enjoyable, relaxing holiday. Don't quarrel over the purpley ones. You know what kind of brand of chocolate we had, eh? I would like to thank you both for being such good friends and praise God through you, John. I am now a privileged child of our great Lord. It's been a great year for me. First, making new friends at the church, followed by conversion. Then to crown it all, baptism. Life, praise the Lord, is good. I feel excited about being a Christian and look forward to progressing as one. Of course, I realize I'm only a baby Christian and it could be some time before I'm weaned from spiritual milk to strong meat. But with the Lord's help and the inspiration that comes from your sermons and being a member of such a warm and friendly church fellowship, I think I can make it. You may be thinking that I'm being carried away by the emotional events of the past months. You could be right. And I realize only too well that I will experience the lows as well as the highs. But one thing is certain in my mind, I want to keep the faith and to win the prize. I think it will be very hard at times, but the rewards are so great. But feeling as I do at the moment, I'm sure I can do it. God bless you both. I'll pray for your safe journey and happy holiday. Love, John. I do at the moment, I'm sure I can do it. And that's what Paul says, doesn't he? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The confidence of the Christian, the confidence of Paul, the confidence of the Philippian church and of Lansing Tab is that all things are possible. That's not confidence in, in ourselves. It's not a sense that an I can do it kind of philosophy. It is, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We know that there are resources for the Christian life, more than enough for the Christian life, every moment and every season, because he has those resources. I was reading um, Eugene Peterson, um, his sermon on this passage, and he told the story of a man who bought a Rolls-Royce in America, obviously some years ago, two or three decades ago. And he was looking through all of the material that he received with the Rolls-Royce, the, the owner's manual and so on. And he realized that, um, American terminology, he realized that nowhere did it record the horsepower of the engine. And he'd spent rather a lot of money on this Rolls-Royce, so he decided that he wanted to find out what the horsepower was. So he wrote to Rolls-Royce and said, um, I'm loving the car. Um, it's a really brilliant car. But I'd really be interested. You know, there are some people like that, aren't there? Engineers, they're like this. They, they like to know things like that. Um, as you know, I'm not a driver, not much of a driver anyway. And I just kind of don't really get too excited about cars. But he obviously did. He wrote to them. And they wrote a letter back. Um, but only had one word in it. What's the horsepower of this car? And they said, adequate. <laughs> adequate. And of course, that's all you need to know, isn't it? You need to know it's adequate if you're going up a hill. 
It's adequate if you've got your three rather large aunties in the back seat. It's adequate. It's adequate. It will do the job. And of course, that's what we need to know about Jesus, isn't it? When Jesus is in our life, he's always adequate for every situation. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Some of us who've been on the road for a long time just know that's true. Some of us have been on the road for just a little while are beginning to discover that is true. Sometimes we think, well, I, I can't imagine life this way. I can't imagine life without this or that, this person or that person. But we need to remember that we will never be without him. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Is God adequate? Yes! God is adequate. Every moment, for every situation. No awkward moment cannot be navigated by God's grace. There's an awkward moment in this letter where Paul talks about money. I've not really talked a lot about money in the life of the church here. Um, we have talked about money um, often. Uh, certain times in the church's history, how little money we've got. It's a delicate moment to talk about money, but it's a beautiful moment in a sense in this particular letter because it can be awkward, it can be ugly, people talking about money. I've been in the church where... Um, I heard someone speak for 20 minutes before the collection. That was ugly. Embarrassing. I was kind of feeling less generous as, as the time went on. Paul says this um, to the uh, Philippians, there in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know... In the early days of your acquaintance with my gospel when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift. That's an awkward moment, isn't it? Not that I'm looking for a gift. But I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Hey, at four o'clock this afternoon, I'm not looking for a gift. Well, in a sense, no, I'm not. Primarily the gift is that something is credited to your account. Now, what, something really interesting is going on here. Paul is kind of using a word that kind of cuts in lots of different directions. The, the word is charis, the word that we get grace from. It's also the word we get gift from. It's also the word we get thanksgiving from. It's also the word we get charismatic from, the, the, the same word. And Paul says the wonderful thing here, it's not an awkward moment because it's a beautiful moment. The beautiful grace of God is at work in giving and receiving. The giving and receiving and the thanking for the gift it's all part of this wonderful gift of God. It's the great thing, isn't it? When a person becomes a Christian, 
When a person becomes a Christian, the fist becomes an open hand, doesn't it? The fist that holds everything and keeps everything for myself suddenly becomes an open hand that offers up our life to God and is ready to be his servant in the world. The fists. We're all born with our fists grasped, aren't we? Fighting for air. We're all born again with fists open. What does the grace of God do? One of the things the grace of God does is to make us receptive, but it also makes us generous. The awkward moment is diffused because something beautiful has happened. I'm so full. I just feel full of thanks for what God has done among you and what God will do with you in the future. Your gifts, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My, that smells good. Paul goes back to the sacrifices in the Old Testament when God says, when God's people are obedient and they bring their sacrifices, it just smells good. It's a pleasing smell in the nostrils of God. When God's church works as God wants it to work, when the friendships within the church are open and committed, when we're of one mind, it just smells good. It's just beautiful. Beautiful in God's eyes and beautiful to the eyes of God's people. What's the best present that a church leader might have is to see a congregation of people standing firm and displaying the grace of God in their lives. And to be sure of this, my God will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The need of a pastor, the need of wisdom, the need of strength, the need of patience and grace. All my needs, all your needs. God is good. We're starting a kind of new future um, with the School of Preachers Trust. Um, there is a, a kind of something on the, the notice board. You may have noticed it on the way in. The, the website not, is not quite up yet. It will be up, we hope, in the next week or so. Um, the address is on the display there, back there. God has graciously provided for the first year of that, and we're very grateful for that, which is why I've not been shaking a tin. Thankful for that too. He will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. That's always true. Always true. What do you need? He can meet your need. Your spiritual need. Your need of forgiveness. Your need of daily grit and grace. All your needs. Promises to keep you going. Wisdom to guide you. Protection to have his hand upon you. And if that's the case, well then we're reminded, aren't we, that the response is, 
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If anything has happened in this place in the last 22 years, it is because he is so good. Glory be to his name. I will be a forgotten man sometime or other in the future. I'll be a footnote in history. But the glory will continue to redound to him. The first word and the last word of Philippians. Not the end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I sometimes use that at the end of the service. And can I mention that when we look at these letters, sometimes you can't tell whether speaking to singular or plural. We said about the motto text, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, it's plural, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And this word, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, again plural, with your all, to take a little leaf from our Mississippian friends, your all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And of course that is the first word, isn't it, the Christian life? It is the last word of the Christian life. That we experience God's riches at Christ's expense. He is spiked to the cross, rejected by the Father, that we might be welcomed by the Father in his mercy. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. It's good to know that invitation is still open, isn't it? That Jesus is in the business of grace. Grace that turns ugly things into beautiful things. Grace that turns the lost one into a found one. The grace that turns the loser into a winner. Grace that turns the slave into a son and daughter. The grace that allows us to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Well, yes, there needs to be a last word. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.